Hello, welcome adventurers to the Travelogue, podcast which I, Stephen Hoffert, my pronouns are he, him, and Lily Lavin, she, her. We'll be diving into the world of Faerun from the Dungeons and Dragons tabletop role-playing game. We'll go area by area, town by town, to provide a background of canonical lore, as well as suggestions on what type of encounters you can run in the area, or what type of character you can create whose background is based in the area. This week, we're covering Nahara. Lily, how do you feel about Yonti? It's a different flavor of Fallen Empire. This 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 time it's snake and poison. Nahara? No, Yuan-Ti. Oh, Yuan-Ti. Yeah, okay. That's true. That's true. Like, they've still got cities and stuff, but for the most part, Yuan-Ti is another one of those where it's like, they were once a grand empire. They are now not so much a grand empire, and instead they kind of work in the shadows and control things in the background, hoping to have their glorious empire returned. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this time it's snake flavored <laughs> instead of undead, wizard, elf, whatever you want. Um, what's the other one? Uh, mind flayer. Nope. This time it's snake. I like them. They, I guess they also, they're cool. They're, they're like in, in the mind flayer in that way, but I like them as kind of like a body horror, body horror flavor and like mad scientists, like, you know, mutating people and doing experiments on them. Like they get that, they have that cool. Uh, aspect to them that they always are like trying to make new types of creatures or like new yanti hybrids um i find that really interesting yeah i think they're cool i like their lore it's hard for me to divest the yanti from religion Mm. so while yeah that kind of mad scientist body horror is there it has such a religious flavor that it doesn't feel mad scientist to me it feels more ritual it feels more um right 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 what's the word it feels more like uh, ritual shaman of the old gods you know in a ju- in a jungle somewhere right. sacrificing the fair young lad to their god by ripping out his heart and eating it and then trying to turn him into an abomination or something you know yep yeah i can see that more so than uh more so than laboratories or anything that's fair that's fair but there it is like i i think it depends like, that's why I love the Serpent Kingdom uh, book. But I think you'll find, depending on what kingdom you go to, you found Holandeth to be very kind of like they're trying to work with modern society. They have like trade going on and like pretend to be normal, but then they have their experiments in behind. And they, the house Exterminos uh, has a lot of hidden agents in different cities, while Nahara is more like bring back the old ways, the old kingdom, and they're more the traditionalists in like a hierarchy and like old nobles. And then Chalt is like the more like ritualistic and like shamanistic side. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's different flavors and there's diversity in there, but it's just like, you can't really divest the religion from it is the thing. Cause all of those factions, the key linchpin there between them all is doing weird evil shit in the name of generally not very worshipped gods. So it's all very, it's all very culty. Mm-hmm. It's like yep. different flavor of cult, which I think is quite cool. I like that they, like, I like that the Yuantir represented enough in the lore that there's a bunch of different sects and different versions of them rather than just being like, all the Yuan-Ti around the world are like this. Like, I think it's really cool that they're like, all the Yuan-Ti around the world do worship, like, these three snake gods, and they do it in a really weird, culty way that no matter how much they try and pose as normal people, you look in the back room of their house and they got some weird cult <laughs> shit going on. But aside from those two things that link them all together, they're quite different in the different regions, and I, I do appreciate that mm-hmm. because sometimes you get some lore where it's like, you know, all lizard folk everywhere are exactly the same. And it's like, well, what, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> like there's, there's, yeah, they're like widely different parts of the world and widely different biomes. And like, yeah, yeah. it's like, I know there's going to be, you know, cultural constants between a race. Like I'm sure all lizard folk around the world have unifying factors, but they're not going to be exactly the same. No, exactly. Exactly. Borskir Bridge stands on the tradeway and is the only consistently safe crossing over the winding river for more than a hundred miles in either direction. The great Prince Borskir, the snarling boar, was a noted adventurer and founder of the realm that bears his name. Borskir built the first bridge over the winding river at this site to attack the rampaging orcs of the Bloody Tusk. This alone makes it remarkable, but there, in the midst of a wilderness and with nothing to set it apart for greatness, a mortal man murdered Baal, the god of murder. Ironic. 
<laughs> the bridge is made of black granite and has a statue of Cyric on one end and another of Ball at the other end. This is no tall tale. Even a century after Ball's blood was shed there, the river's waters run black and foul for miles west of the bridge. Adding to the, lo- adding to the location's sacred nature, Cyric, the man who killed Ball, was himself elevated to godhood. Although he proved to be a malign power, statues of both Cyric and Baal were erected on ends of the bridge, the two gods facing each other, though it is said Cyric stabbed Baal in the back. About a century ago, fanatics of Mistra tore down the statues and flung their stones in the river, but fearing retribution for such sacrilege, the merchants who used the bridge pooled funds to have them rebuilt in grander style than before. Now each god stands atop his own decorated archway that serves as entrances to the bridge. The bridge serves as a connection between the lands of the North and Western Heartlands. The enormous black granite bridge is wide enough for two wagons to pass one another going opposite directions, and its waist-high ramparts are thicker than some castle walls. On most days of the summer, and even during the season suitable for travels, merchant caravans cross the bridge and pilgrims come to pay homage all beneath the protective gates of the paladins of Eltregard stationed at nearby Fort Tamai. So the the water is not just like gross. Like if you drink it or touch it, it messes you up. Oh yeah, it's like very cursed. Yeah, yeah. when we were there, there was one quest line that involved something in the water Mm -hmm. and we didn't end up doing it. And I remember the DM told me that they were like, "Ah, I wish you had done that so you would have touched the water and got corrupted or whatever happens when you touch it. Yeah, this is all from the Time of Troubles, by the way, back when uh, the gods were mortal uh, or like more more like stuck on the mortal realm. So that's why Ball was just hanging around a bridge. Yeah, and that's that's actually Cyric used to that time to become a god. Yeah. He was a mortal before that, hung out with the current iteration of Mistra, who used to be called Midnight, and who was the other one they hung out with? Kalimbor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? It's a little misleading, though, because, well, not necessarily misleading, but Borsker Bridge also is like a little town. There's like a... There's stuff there. There's permanent residences there. It's not just a bridge. Kinda. Kinda. I mean, there's a tavern and people that live there. And uh, there's a... Like, it's not a big city. It's just like, for people wondering, it is like a stopover settlement. There is a tavern. There is a rather usually large encampment on one side. But also, I love everything to do with Cyric. Yeah. Cyric is like my favorite god, not just because of the fact that his like main portrait is him like sitting in the fetal position on like some rocks that look like a chair, like hugging a sword. It's so funny. He's so (laughs) wretched. He's like, his main picture is him sitting there like a wretched little castaway. Like a little worm or something like that. And everyone, (laughs) everyone hates him. He doesn't have one god on his side. All the gods hate him. He's actually like trapped somewhere. The gods were like, we don't like you. And they shackled him and stuck him somewhere. He got imprisoned. He got imprisoned because he killed Mistra. Yeah. And caused the spell plague. So they were like, no, 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 you're going to jail. Yeah. Um, I just, he's so wretched. I love that it's like, you know, even Ball has friends. Yeah, but, exactly. <laughs> but Cyric, every, everyone hates Cyric. I love it. There's just, it's so funny. He's such a wretched little man. Yeah, wretched little piece of shit. And yeah, it's it's interesting to have Borskir Bridge. It is technically in the Ultra Guard. We're, we're touching back in the Ultra Guard again. Um, it is interesting that it is there, and it, but yet it has this like really this tie to like a darker god and a darker being. Yeah, it's interesting. I like that there's big big towers and stuff, you know, erected to these. Like it's it's kind of odd mm-hmm. thinking the, of the fact that there's two gods to evil uh, towers and stuff. Yeah, yeah. The large the large statues facing each other on this like really wide black bridge is very fantasy, and I love it. Yeah. Nahara, the kingdom of snakes, is an ancient realm of serpent folk that encompasses the eastern reaches of the High Moor, the Serpent Hills, the Forest of Worms, the Marsh of Chalember, and the river valleys that meander through the area. Centuries ago, Nahara was centered in the western reaches of the Forest of Worms, around the now-ruined capital city of Sistharthissum. Now, however, the epicenter of this realm has shifted decidedly north to the Serpent Hills once exclusive territory of the Lizardfolk Kingdom of Calran. The Serpentfolk are strongly influential in surrounding lands. 
Nahara is arguably the largest and most powerful kingdom of the Western Heartlands, yet its existence as a realm is almost unknown, even to its nearest neighbors. The Serpent Folk do not post guards along the kingdom's borders, or attack every humanoid that passes through their holdings, or exact tariffs from passing caravans. No gnome-dug mines dot the landscape, and no great city attracts visitors from miles around. The region is known to be dangerous, but its neighbors do not believe that its monstrous inhabitants are organized in any real sense. Those who stumble across the truth are rarely seen again, and those who return to the human-ruled cities knowing the truth often vanish before their tales gain any credence. Yeah, Nahara is so secretive that we played in the Sword Coast for like two years, and I didn't even know it existed. Yeah. <laughs> and I was the DM. Yeah, and you had me being all like, Yanti, 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 I love Yanti. And we're like both like, I don't know where they would be, though. <laughs> yep. So, uh, yeah, it's so secretive it even hid from us. Also, one of my favorite parts of the Yuanti is that they don't need to spell everything with all of these S's. That last city name you just said has four yeah. S's in a row. <laughs> they do it so that um, you're, I love it, they write the accent into the names. It's yeah. so funny. So that you're forced to go star they're like they're like we're gonna make you talk like a snake yeah exactly you have to do it (laughs) we're gonna write this phonetically every time so that you you do the snake noise (laughs) you're gonna be so snaky yeah and i like how great i love that it's so funny nahara as we'll get into it it is not just serpent folk like it's not just yanti and that's what i love the most about it i'm very excited the king of nahara is a spirit naga with a noble caste composed of dark nagas, known collectively as the Nagara, spirit nagas, and yanti. The majority of the population consists of lizard folk, muck dwellers, and ophidians. Muck dwellers. Muck dwellers. So yeah, it's a uh, bunch of different uh, uh, snake people and uh, snake-like creatures and scalies here. You know, I didn't for a long time make uh, the connection yeah phidians are weird they're weird looking they look they they're look weird. they look like a salamander they're, they're like yeah, no, well they look like a like if you go to the wiki they just look like a salamander stood up yeah. but didn't become any more humanoid <laughs> yeah like it just true. it just stood up and grabbed a sword <laughs> and was like that's it that's it i'm not being like a lizard folk opposable thumbs who needs that i'm just a i'm a salamander that stood up but uh yeah it, i didn't make the connection originally but when reading the lore the connection is made it makes a lot of sense that you want to hang out and revere naga like that connection makes a lot of sense to me they're huge mm-hmm. magical yeah. snake creatures right yeah and they're all technically made by the 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 that ancient race uh like the first race one of the crater races they're all made by the same crater race would naga be made by that though yep yeah they were it was yanti where when they made humans they took humans and mixed them with their own dna um that's why yanti canonically the the ritual only works on humans because yanti are uh inherently like half human yeah even like the pure blood ones are from their core uh, half human but i think the naga were they mixed themselves with just pure snakes yeah they were cra- like what if we take snakes and then took us and poof. they were created by magically interbreeding powerful serpents with the natural intelligence well nope nagas were created by the serics the same creator race yeah Sarek. yeah there you go um in the early days of marshulk as a servitor race um, they were created by magically interbreeding powerful ser- serpents with the natural intelligence and inquisitiveness of humans. Oh, yeah. I guess it's just a, did they be mixed with the brain of the human instead of the body of right. the human? And we'll get to it, but Ophidians are made in a way that you probably would not have guessed. But yeah, this this is the mad scientist I'm talking about. Like even their creator races was even like, ah, now what if we put these two together? Yeah. The lizardfolk native to this area believe themselves to be citizens of the independent kingdom of Calran. In truth, however, the rulers of Calran have been vassals of the kings of Nahara for many generations. The typical lizard folk of the northern Serpent Hills are primarily brown, with striking green markings along the arms and upper chest and limbs, and are more human-like than the other tribes. These alterations reflect the breeding experiments of the Naharan Yanti. Calran has militaristic culture in which the strongest warriors serve as chieftains, and artistic pursuits are held in low esteem. The lizardfolk of Calaran trade with their kin in the Marsh of Chalember, but often battle with their serpentine neighbors. 
And Barnage secretly encourages this state of perpetual low-grade warfare to stricken the combat readiness of both groups. I like this more militaristic lizard folks. I think it would be a cool. It'd be cool just to to to, to roleplay them or have a character who's from there, but like have it, you know, like like the hobgoblins of lizard folks, where they're very like they have a sort of sense of like battle strategy and like armies and yeah. Yeah, play battlemaster. It'd be cool. Yeah yeah bone weapons with bone weapons yeah exactly or maybe you were artistic like you were lizard folk that liked to make a little art like carvings in your bone weapons and they're like that's not necessary that weakens the weapon <laughs> and like you left because they just didn't uh they didn't respect your talents lizard <laughs> the nagas of nahara formed the ruling caste of the kingdom of snakes the dark nagas and free-willed boned nagas are all descendants of Tipperzai and each is accorded the status of prince of the realm. Upon the death of the king, the most powerful living dark naga can claim the throne by ritual combat. Traditionally, approximately a dozen spirit nagas serve the king of Nahara, but dint of ancient pact dating back to Nejizar's ascension to the throne, each spirit naga's function as a protector and servitor of the royal line, answering directly to the reigning monarch. Some serve as guardians, others inspect ongoing activities in populated centers, and the rest function as inquisitors. Take us to your king. All right. The king, just a big snake. Yep, with a head, with a like creepy kind of human head. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Uh, yeah, Nagas, they're cool. They're like sphinx, sphinx snakes. I like them. They're cool. Yeah, I like that they're kind of noble cast. I like that they have kind of like this sense of superiority. I think that's a... Yeah. Uh, so yeah, the Ophidians of Nahara, known locally as Snake Men, have hides molted with green and deep yellow, although they can adjust their coloration to blend with their surroundings. Ophidians have a simple snake-like bodies with arms and hands similar to those of humans, and they lack the cobra hoods of the southern tribes. Naharian Ophidians make up the laborers and warrior castes of the Kingdom of Snakes. They spend their time raising herd animals, hunting, digging tunnels, building subterranean cities, and fighting. Although some Ophidians command their fellows, all must answer to the Nagas and Yanti nobility. The religious caste of Nahara is dominated by Yanti, but a few Ophidian priestesses are permitted within the ranks of the Sisethasar. In general, Naharian Ophidians are much more religious than the members of the ruling class. Good little snakes. Good little snake man. Oh, yeah. I mean, okay, if you look up pictures of yeah. these guys, this description does not fit the pictures at all. They look like... No, it doesn't. I'm wondering if this is just Naharian ones. I mean, maybe, because the Ophidian, yeah, pictures are like, they're just weird little salamander guys. Yeah, they don't have like human hands or anything like that. Yeah. So here's... Oh, I guess if you, I guess if you scroll down a bit. Okay, you... I found a couple right. that look more snake-like. Yeah. During the Silver Age of Netheril, the Netherees began establishing outposts in the wildlands to the west, which are now known as the Western Heartlands and the North. Some of these pioneers sought badly needed resources, while others set up isolated bases from which to perform their magical experiments. A handful of outposts established in the southern reaches of the High Moor and the area known as the Serpent Hills were linked to a network of portals within the heartland of Netheril. The Netherese wizards of House Oregoth built a fortified villa in the southern reaches of the High Moor, near the northern edges of the Serpent Hills. Several generations of Oregoths sought the power of Faerun's worms, and legend has it that some eventually attained it, at least after a fashion. One early byproduct of House Oregoth's research was the Serpent Curse, a magical melody that transformed humans into snake-like races that Oregoth elders named Ophidians. Many of House Orgoth's Netherese's servants succumbed to this plague and were driven to the hills to the west. It's pretty cool. Netherese, they're always popping up in everyone's history. So yeah, the the Ophidians the here were, they're humans that got like a weird curse to them. So I think that would be a really interesting quest line to have. I mean, it seems, it seems like this is the history of all Ophidians. Yeah, I think all Ophidians. Yeah, that's true. Like, this seems to be like where they come from. Done. Yeah, done. Yeah. But I think maybe like they're a bit more human here or like they have the, I don't know, uh, like may, or maybe the Ophidians that look more snake-like are like Ophidians that came ba- down the ranks of like Ophidians breeding more so than like humans being changed. But yeah. I, I would play it as the curse is still here and have this like quest line where kind of like what our one DM did 
where like the Lathander church is going out to build a new congregation somewhere or like a lord of Baldur's Gate or not Baldur's Gate, but the lord somewhere, some, I know, merchant is like, I'm going to set up a new town in this area that there's not a lot. Like, yeah, I've heard serpent people, but I'll do it more near the Trialta Hills and uh, I'll be safe. And builds up a, a human settlement there and they slowly turn into like snake-like creatures. Like like they wake up one day and they have scales yeah. and like it's just like it slowly starts to affect them just being in this area. Yeah, getting rid of the curse would be a pretty fun quest line. Yeah. Depending on what you're doing in this area. I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think that'd be really cool. You get to learn the history of the Netherese. We we covered it last week, but the House Orgoth is now, there's a Dracolich, a black Dracolich that's there trying to find this old uh, Netherese magic currently so right it's pretty dangerous place still but uh yeah yeah snakes snake with the exception of Histash and the tainted ones all naharian yanti are members of the histafi tribe the dispassionately intellectual yanti make up the administration merchant and religious caste of the kingdom of snakes Although they never perform physical labor, they supervise most of the fitting activities and act as advisors to the ruling Nagas. Yanti Teta ones are equal to Ophidians in rank and are included in the warrior and merchant castes. The Yanti Hisash are considered little more than bestial slaves. Naharian society is cold and lacking in emotional vibrancy. The logical and precise serpent folk enjoy puzzles, mind-expanding exercises, and games that simulate strategy of war. They favor art that features elaborate repetitive patterns and askew representative art. Such attitudes lend themselves to the study of the art, the art being magic, and many Naharians pursue the path of sorcery or wizards. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I I know I because it's explaining like this society to me, I would find a way. Uh, either I play Yanti from here, a hundred percent, especially like a wizard, or Find a way for your party to get into this kingdom as like, for some reason, they're like, don't kill them. Like they're allowed in here, watch them, but like, don't kill them. Right. And so they get to see this weird, like society, like the societal structure that they have. Like, I think it'd be interesting seeing Yanti masters over the Ophidians and like, but then they, they supplicate to the, uh, the Nagas and you see that they have this like really. Like, they have a hierarchy within themselves. Kind of a harsh caste system. Exactly. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I like I like Nahara. The thing I like about stuff like this is that I feel like sometimes mm. you get kind of like the whole idea. And we touched on this in the one episode with the orcs and how I was saying, you know, maybe the orcs, there was that one bar that they would all retire to and they go to there to beat the crap out of each other because, you mm. know, no matter what, orcs are still created by Grumsh so they have the rage of Grumsh in them. And uh, that's a way to set them apart from just human but big and green is human but big and green, but they can't yeah. control their rage issues because of, you know, literal divinity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I like the idea here where it expands on the way you want to think. Like, I always like this idea of like when you the more you read about you want the more I compared them to this with you in our group chat a couple weeks ago. Right. They really feel like they think in binary code. You know, like, they, like their brain works like coding. Um, you know, they're cold and lacking in emotional vibrancy. They only, you know, they their idea of fun is strategy and puzzles and mind exercises. You know, this sounds like coding or something of the like, right? And I think a really interesting way, rather than just playing like human but lizard flavored, because you're never going to get a race right. in D&D or a heritage that isn't just that. I mean, okay, cool, I'm a slime, but ultimately I'm just human that's slime-flavored. And I feel like the way you deviate from that is by leaning into right. these, you know, you're not di- these aren't different races. These well, are yeah. different species. So they have a different brain. But and I like, understand that that would be like, that would really have to flex your roleplay yeah. chops to be able to do this. But I think it would just be really interesting if you really leaned mm. into that whole thing where it's like, it's not that I can't understand emotion, it's that... My brain physically can't compute it. Well, but that's the thing. I, okay, I'm going to get a bit real here for everybody. Is like I am neurodivergent and I have this feeling of like I see other people emote and they seem to have stronger emotions than me. They seem to feel a lot more than I do. And so I have, I don't know, 
I express emotions in a more muted way, as well as I really enjoy problem solving. It's my favorite thing to do at work. I love problem solving. And so I kind of really like the Yanti, even though I know they're evil and I know they're sadistic and all that. But like, I do enjoy this kind of, yeah, the join puzzles, like things when, when you see like, oh, I've made someone angry or I've made someone sad. You're like, how do I fix this? Like a puzzle more so than you're like yeah. emotionally like, oh, you know, you, 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 everything is a problem to be solved because that's what makes sense to you. A big emotion. They're like, oh, they are feeling this emotion. I don't really get the emotion, but I get like, it means something. That means I did something wrong or something happened. So like, how do I fix this problem that I made them feel bad? So yeah, I had something that I really kind of connect to. I'm like, that seems really cool to, to, to come to. So like, yeah, I like that there's, it's baked into them that they have this, this different way of thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, I think most races, when you actually read the lore, I feel like we should call them yeah. species yeah, instead yeah. of races, because I feel like that kind of muddies it. Because the thing is, is yeah, in real life, there's no distinction between the races. It's made mm. up. But in this world, they're different species, yeah. right? So their, their brain works different. Yeah, they think differently. And I, and that's across the board, human, elf, orc, Yuan-Ti, lizard folk. I feel like lizard folk would be similar to Yuan-Ti in this, but more reflective of the fight or flight mm-hmm. mentality, which I think would be fun to play. But also, yeah, using what you're talking about i think you could make a really fun you on tea where every social encounter so from a meta standpoint social encounters in D are puzzles yeah but from a in world they're not puzzles right no. but in that sense if you played a you on tea you could break the meta there and mm-hmm. be like all right we need to find the square peg to go into this young woman's square hole. <laughs> okay. And then okay, everyone's, okay. everyone's, everyone's, <laughs> everyone looks at you weird and you're like, you're like, what? It was a metaphor. We just need to find the answer to the riddle. And everyone's like, this isn't a riddle. riddle. This is a, this is a woman crying because of this thing we need to fix. And it's like, everything is a riddle. Um, <laughs> exactly. You know, I think, I think that could be quite interesting where you kind of like actually approach all interaction. Like you're kind of describing there. And I think that could be a way to really make it feel like you're playing a different species. Um, literally approach everything as if it, well, not everything, but approach a lot of stuff as if it was a puzzle or uh, a logic game, you know, where it's like, well, there's yeah. some way to fix this. And everyone's like, yes, giving therapy. No, there is a way to do this. I, I think that Just could be... Just pretend everything's an escape room. Like you're exactly. constantly like, mm, yeah. And I think that could be a really fun take on playing a Yuan-Ti. Also, I think another character trait that if I were to play Yuan-Ti, leaning mm-hmm. into this idea, which, like, I think, yeah, okay, you could just play them as, you know, that's too difficult to roleplay. I just want to play human but snake-flavored. That, that's that's fine. You should play them like this, though. Um, but anyway is fine. But I think what would be really fun is, what is it called when we met one in the one campaign right next to Nahara? What is it called when you, like, study snakes? Herpetology, Herpetology yeah. right? So you become a you become a, a humanitologist, yeah. <laughs> and uh, your yuanti is so like you're you're befuddled by emotions. Yeah. You find emotions to be the strangest thing that's ever come. What's the reason for them? All they do is get in the way of your thought processes. Our campaign has been derailed three times already because the gnome keeps getting personally offended by things, and the elf got her heart broken, and we had to spend two nights drinking because of it how do you live like this? And so you have, you know, a sketchbook and you have like three different notebooks and you're traveling around with this group of adventurers <laughs> to study humans. Yeah. You've already studied merchants. You've already studied studied clergy because those are the easy ones. Yeah. Now you're studying this weird breed of, of emotive creatures, not necessarily humans, emotive creatures. Yeah. Let's say you're an emotiveologist. <laughs> this... I'm I'm studying this strange breed of emotive creatures that travel around risking their lives <laughs> for why why do this? Go live in a walled city instead they keep they keep running into the mouth of a dragon. Yeah. Yeah. This is so odd. Even when mathematically the odds are stacked against them, and then somehow they succeed. You know, when you're like drawing sketches of like the elf while it meditates and the right. elf is like, come on, dude, this is kind of creepy. Well, and it's like, uh, just for science and research uh, purposes, I, it is not creepy. I, I would do it too. Like, here's a little insight too. Is like, so often with me, um, to, to in order to interact with people well, I, I like to try to figure out how they, how they tick. I know how, how they are. So like, I will pay attention to people and I'll be like, oh, if like, 
they act more terse or more angry it's probably because they're feeling this way i try to find patterns in their in their uh the way they react to, to 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 understand how to interact with them to so it's not like i don't take it on as something i've done anyways uh, so like have that your character like writes that down in a notebook or something. So they, if, if it ever comes to light or like, or you just let it slip one day, you're like, Oh, like, Oh, you seem angry. Have, have a chocolate. Good. <laughs> and they're like, wait, why did you just offer me a chocolate? It's like, no reason. I didn't write it. I, I just noticed that when you're more, when you get very right, when you get very loud, it's because you've not had chocolate but I give you chocolate and you are not loud anymore. And it's like, wait, what? <laughs> it's like, and you've like figured out everyone's like, text. like, yes, you are. When you get very down, I just say that your hair looks nice and you seem happy about it. So I do that. And yep. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. yeah. I, I love this idea of like a you want tea that's like, yeah. Studying the emoters. Yeah. <laughs> drawing the party in all their scenarios and uh, keeping journal logs about these strange creatures that I have uh, ingratiated myself with. Primitive packs of muck dwellers dwell in the muddy pools and steam beds along the northern Serpent Hills, fighting an unending battle with the snakes of the region. From time to time, the lizardfolk of Coloran call on the muck dwellers to supplement the ranks of their armies. Otherwise, the muck dwellers are largely ignored or eaten. Oh, they're just looking it up now. They're just, uh, they're monstrosities. They're just like big muck monsters. They're like muck elementals. And they're just lizard folk, but mud. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're just, it just looks like this picture also looks like a salamander just stood up, but this time it got out of the mud. Yeah, but mud, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Ibarnaj, the reigning king of snakes, is a powerful dark naga who claimed the unique naga crown known as the Malspire of Nahara in the year of the Orm Serpent, 1295 DR, after the untimely death of the previous ruler. The serpentine monarch lairs in the snake pit of Sithkanaja, attended by the guardian of Nahara and uh, half a dozen spirit nagas. Although Ibarnage is personally quite powerful, its authority stems primarily from its strength of personality and its ability to inspire the serpent folk of Nahara. The current king of snakes is patient, but much more ambitious than the immediate predecessors. Barnahe backed the formation of the cult of the Dark Naga in hopes of adding to the store of spells and magic available to Nahara's elite, but it is yet to reveal what its intends to do upon acquiring such an arsenal. Ibarna reached its current position by forging alliances with care by pitting its underlings and rivals against one another. It shows no sign of banning such tactics now, even though they might actually hinder the achievement of its goals. I included a picture for you. Yeah, it's a pretty sweet little picture. I love this uh, bone naga here. Yeah, that's the original ruler of, like, that's the skeleton of the original ruler of Nahara, or like, the kind of like this iteration of it right. and i love this this throne yeah, built yeah, yeah. To, to allow the coiling it's so good yeah the coiling throne is really sweet i also love that it's built like above a pile of gold <laughs> yeah the no. coiling throne is really cool though i like that a lot yeah it's really cool nice purple and with these like kind of pauldron uh, armor i like it a lot i'm sure you're going to include it in but uh for people listening it's kind of like a bowl that has like one quarter of the bowl removed and then it's sitting on a it's sitting on a cylindrical pillar instead of four legs and the cylindrical pillar has a swirling groove that goes down it that the snake tail can fit nicely to coil around which is really cool the reigning king of snakes in 15th century dr which is the current uh, century is harent who slew the previous king of ebarna five years ago in a struggle that put nahara on the map at least as far as the realm of Eldregard and Everesca are concerned. The short internal civil war that preceded the power change saw a great activity among the Antine lizardfolk of the area. The border nations had clear cause to be concerned that a war was mounting from the long slumbering marshes and hills. Ten years ago, the Dark Serpent began sending ambassadors to neighboring kingdoms to warn them about the consequences of interfering in Naharian matters. Arendt's influence in his realm is undeniable, for his name is spoken reverently by all of his subjects. A guard might swear by Naharin's crown to emphasize an edict, and the Yanti refer to Naharin's laws as Harent's will. No one knows why Harent chose the time he did to make public his kingdom's sovereignty 
or what he hoped to gain by such an act. The anti-ambassadors he sent forth made their king's wishes clear to the nations they visited. Leave Naharian prosperity alone and discourage intruders, such as adventuring types, from violating Naharian borders to steal the fortunes of the serpent folk. In return, the serpents promised that any caravans and other legitimate travelers passing through Nahara's dominion will be unharmed and unhindered as long as they don't stray from the main route. Reaction among the places approached raged from one extreme to the other. Darkhold reportedly feted the ambassadors well, and the serpent folks left with not only agreement from the Zentish lords, but also an offer of possible future military alliance. Not surprisingly, Ultraguard refused the edict outright, and the process of expressing their refusal, bloodshed erupted. The Paladins slew all but one ambassadors and sent the survivor back to Haran's court to communicate their answer. Yeah, I was going to say when it said, um, nobody knows what he hoped to achieve. It's like, well, what he did achieve was a bunch of Paladins trying to commit genocide. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of course. Spoiler alert. Skip ahead, I'd say two minutes. I would have, if you're doing post-descent in Chavernous with Altrell uh, going away and returning, obviously like Shoken, I'd, I'd say when it was gone, I would have Nahara having sent, a, like if they heard, it was they're sending an army in to just decimate Altrell after, uh, Altra, the Altra Guard after like their main place of governance uh, disappeared. Yeah, that would be cool. I think uh, there's two takes on what they could have yeah. done. Before getting into this, I know you just mentioned that. Uh, so actually, I'll say it after. Um, I think there's two routes you could go there that would be really interesting. Is one, after the city has vanished, the Nahar and yuan run in and annex the land yeah. and go, ha ha ha, stupid Elder Guard, and then actively work to keep it gone. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think on the flip side, you could go, they're such fine strategists, both in political maneuvering under their new king, Herent, who uh, is, seems to be quite smart and wanting political allies, and they're quite tactful in uh, matters of war. Right. They yeah. help Eltergard escape. They send people to that, and if you're playing mm. Descent into Avernus, this is how you write your Yuan-Ti character in. They actively help get the Elturel back, and right. b- despite everyone's, what everyone would expect, they save their enemies, thus making everyone right. on Nahara's side in the Elturel-Nahara clash, because because they've, they've now ingratiated themselves as the good folk, the heroes who even saved the people trying to kill them. So now n- no nobody's gonna nobody's going to side with Elturel in this conflict because they're going to be like, dude, they saved your life. Are you kidding? You're still, you're still doing this. And I think that could be a really kind of a subversive angle to take. Yeah. That's really cool. All right. Uh, spoiler ended. Yeah. What I was going to say is a really cool character. You want to from this area. You are one of, uh, Herant's, um, envoys. Yeah. Traveling around at the party, every city you go to, you try and get a meeting with, the lord of the city, the village, the town, the you know open lord of Waterdeep, but of course you gotta do, uh, you gotta earn favor first. Yeah, and so you do, you do some quests, get in good, meet, um, you know, an ambassador of the open lord of Waterdeep, give your spiel. They say no. You say, what can I do to help? Boom. Yeah. Quest. Yeah. Also, great character to play. So Darkhold and Zentish. It means the Zentarum. Yeah. That their one of their headquarters is in Darkhold. So. Yeah, play uh, Yanti that Naharan, like Harant, uh, gave as like an alliance. It's like, okay, you have some of our agents. Uh, so you're working like for Nahara still, like you are a Naharian uh, citizen, but like you were given over to the Zentarum in this military alliance. That'd be cool. I think it would also be cool too if you don't want, if you don't want to have to do the political stuff, if you don't think that's interesting. Yeah, if you want to play a Zent, great way to play a Zent, Yanti. Mm-hmm. Um, another way would be just, you know, Nahara, if you're playing a heroic campaign nahara just sent you out to do heroic stuff to make nahara look good you're just doing everything for the glory of nahara yeah you know you're a you're a paladin or a fighter and yeah no i think that's really cool yeah dosen silverscale a yanti purblood in nahara nosen acts as a counselor to the king and often seeks to mitigate harant's excesses dosen makes no secret of his desire to help the king build a nation whose status equals or outmatches other realms across the face of faerun harant keeps him near it is said because of the king's courtiers 
Docent is the likeliest to attempt to steal away the Malspire, which is the crown. Marlspire, which is the crown. Another figure of note in the in the court is the cunning green dragon Emika Wufeg, often called the Emerald Daughter. She is young for a dragon and is still small enough to fit in the tunnels leading down to Harant's audience chamber. Harant is said to appreciate the twists and turns of her wit. Some courtiers believe that she is freely kept to hand as foil to Dosin, as her sickly, her slickly vicious nature offsets Dosin's more honorable tendencies. A trio of Yanti warlocks who claim to have tapped into the vestiges of the ancient serpent deity once worshipped in Sisthar Thisun, lead the Yanti of Nahara. I think that would be a really cool idea if you wanted a dragon big bad evil guy. So if you want a green dragon mm. antagonist for any measurable amount of time, the lore behind them is that they are deceitful, but also kind of like master tacticians in in the arts of... right. Um, manipulation and spy craft mm. and so in the lore behind green dragons often it talks about um how they will manipulate entire armies to go to war for them right e- even if it goes against what that army would normally do mm. and i love that lore about green dragons it's so yeah, cool so cool. often what i think is what would be really cool is you know it's a twist that the main antagonist has been a green dragon the whole time and i think it would be a really cool take to make it so like you know um maybe uh Herant has died mm-hmm. and been replaced by dosen and secretly this green dragon is you know whispering in the ear manipulating and you know the yuan going to war i don't know some campaign where the yuan are doing a bunch of bad shit and then it turns out at the end it's just because they've been manipulated by the emerald daughter the whole time yeah to switch her, switch her into ancient, she becomes ancient during the campaign or right before the campaign, and becoming ancient elevates her to a position where she's able to do all this so that she can be a fitting um, villain because you need an ancient dragon unless this is a low-level um, quest line, which it would work for low-level too. Yeah. But I think that would be really cool. Um, they're all just being manipulated by this dragon, and that ends up being kind of the twist at the end. Well, I'd say too, if, if you don't want to make this your main quest line, do it as like your character's backstory. If you want, like you know, if if you have a DM that likes to do like going back to people's homelands as like arcs, to have it as like you were uh, an apprentice of Dosin Silverscale or like a friend of them, and yeah, the the king has died, and you, or maybe the king's still alive, but you see that this this emerald daughter is pulling the strings and Dosen has sent you out to get allies uh, outside of the kingdom to like bring this Emerald daughter down. Cause like Dosen sees the writing in the wall that's going to end up into bloodshed. And like, you're just trying to save your, the kingdom of Nahara from destroying itself by causing open war. The forest of worms is one of the last remnants of a great forest that once stretched from the sunset mountains to the sea of swords from the Western and Southern edges of the high moor down to the cloud peaks. Despite the incredibly rocky terrain, the great redwoods and thick pines of the forest soar at incredible heights, suggesting that at least parts of this woodland may have been magically grown by the elves of Chantel or Thier. Logging the forest is almost impossible due to its formidable terrain and the creatures that dwell within. The forest of worms has been home to all manner of snakes since the arrival of the Yanti in Sisthar Sisun. Some of the more dangerous varieties include death coils, jackals, and the tree python. In addition, the Forest of Worms is home to at least half a dozen immature green dragons, descendants from the legendary... How would you say that? That's so hard. I'm not even trying that one. Agyitklergwar. These creatures effectively rule the forest depths. Dragon slayers often come here to hunt, but no one has yet recovered the fabled horde of the Forest Worm. The ruins of Setharthesun, an ancient temple city, lie in the northern fringes of the forest. At some point in the distant past, humans built a small settlement, once called Serpent's Cowl, above these ruins, but it now stands empty. A place of great danger within the forest is Tothlothzin, once the citadel of an lich and now an important site in the Harian slave trade. Slavers from around the region know that the serpent folk pay good coin for slaves brought here, and they are usually transported to other places in Nahara for service. Everyone, we are a sovereign nation. We are good neighbors. We are perfectly fine. We're good. We're not evil snake folk. We're the good neighbor snake folk. 
if you step off the road a little bit, you will become a slave. But we're good neighbors. We're good neighbors. But we're good neighbors. It's fine. Neighbors. It's fine. What's that over there behind the bush? Nothing. It's not a million slaves we took from people who strayed just a little bit off the road at all. Why would you say that? You say I said that? Shut up. You're a slave now. <laughs> I love, I, that's one of my favorite things about this. Yeah. They're just like, we're fine, perfect neighbors, be okay with us. And then you read a bit further and it's just like, we also have a really booming slave trade <laughs> <laughs> that's actively dangerous for people to go anywhere near. Yep. And it's like, okay, wait, are you good neighbors or are you evil slavers? <laughs> you guys just, you, you, come on. Yeah. Um, wow, the Forest of Worms has snakes in it? Who would have thought? Yep, and it has worms it has a lot of little green dragons yeah that lore is conflicted somewhere else yeah yeah the rocky there's 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 in another right i forget in another thing but when we went there it was looked up and another thing says there aren't that many right Um, and there's never really an explanation for the two conflicting lores and i think it is that um in between those two books something called the draco rage happened and they all killed each other that makes sense um so it's kind of up to you they're kind of uh what is it um whatever's dragons what you know like the cats schrodingers schrodingers yeah they're Schro- they're yeah. Schrodinger- <laughs> schrodinger's dragons they're there right. if you want them they're not if you don't the rocky serpent hills roll along a great expanse broadening to the west until they become the high moor this region gets more rainfall than the moor and its scrubby growth and groves of hardy trees provide cover for the region's innumerable snakes many streams the largest of which are which is the river catherine Emerges from freshwater springs and then carve their way through the rocky hills to join the serpent tail stream. Most of the rock faces have been carved or quarried, and the landscape is dotted with ruins. Old Nethery's villas and crypts from the empire and ruins that date back to the era immediately following the fall of Netheril. The city of Shining Serpents lies at the heart of the Serpent Hills within the largest tor of the chain. Ophidian laborers have constructed a host of gardens, chapels, shrines, and spiring terraces that wind its way up the hill, making seven full revolutions before reaching the top. At the apex of the tour lies a spiraling complex to Seseth, shaped like a massive serpent head. The anti-Amphidian clerics who rule the city live here, and the rest of the inhabitants live within the twisting tunnels and chambers that honeycomb the hills. Pretty cool. Kind of a hard-to-navigate terrain, coupled with uh, ancient Netherese ruins and dungeons, and then uh, yeah. all topped by a nice hat of Yuanti funky city. Yeah, exactly. The, the the hills are where like the main Naharian places are, and like the cities are, and where you'll stumble upon like what looks like uh maybe one building or one thing that then it, it ends up being so much more with the tunnels underneath yeah yeah it's, it's kind of yeah it's pretty cool very cool only a few shallow caves lie directly beneath the hills beneath this perilous territory lie the serpent ways and in a series of intricate well-guarded tunnels intersped with caverns and chambers the passages serve as the main pathways for the folk of Nahara through these lands, but some of them connect with more extensive limestone caverns that make up the uppermost reaches of the Underdark. In addition to scaled kin, the Serpent Hills support a colony of black caimans, crocodiles, a school of bulliets, a handful of beholder variants with vipers instead of eye stalks, what? dinosaurs, <laughs> known locally as razor tails fire drakes giant frogs muck dwellers urds and strange monstrosities bred by the auntie and about 14 dragons the okay about 14 dragons so i could list out all the dragons but there is literally if the draco rage happened sure but there's so many like copper dragons black dragons this guy there's so many dragons in these hills they don't look that big it doesn't look like it's big enough for that many dragons no there this this place has too many things it also doesn't have enough for all these beholders with viper eyes, <laughs> viper eyes. okay that's the dumb that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard it's in your so life. Dumb. What, how does it do beholder stuff i hate it yeah, um, no, no there's there's too much here write most of this out and <laughs> yeah, put something exactly. else there yeah no one just, dragon just have just have the yawn tea have their ha- their homes here like it's way too small it's not that big yeah like make it big know, make it bigger make the high more smaller if you're gonna put so much stuff here it's crazy there's, there's not 14 dragons here <laughs> no no i i, I refuse
Okay, this is good stuff. In the midst of the Serpent Hills, astride the upper reaches of the River Catherine, which is a weird name. It's like all these snake things. Like, yeah, this is Catherine River. Who who right. got that? The petrified right. body of a gigantic serpent lies mostly buried in the ground. One coil of its immense body forms as an arch f- over the flowing waters, while its head and tail protrude from the rocky ground some 500 feet apart. No one knows whether this massive statue was once a living snake that was petrified by some powerful work of magic, or whether it is a remnant of some ancient golem. In either case, if it traveled in a straight line to get to this point, it must have come directly from the village of Serpent's Cowl on the Siskauron, western edge of the Forest of Worms, and hence the ruins of Sisar Thesun. After the death of Turpins, the first king of Nahara, the Yanti took over the great petrified snake and transformed it into a fortress. The tail had already been hollowed out by a Netherese arch wizard during the Netherese Age of Discovery and turned into a sorcerer's tower. Deep beneath the serpent's tail, Ophidian craftsmen have since fashioned a stunning palace built around a pool that has magical healing properties, a favorite retreat for wounded Gara. The central arch of the serpent, which spans the river Catherine, has been hollowed out and serves as both a covered bridge and a merchant's trading area. Beneath the serpent's head, one tunnel leads away into some ancient gnome-dug salt mines, which are now serve as way stations for visiting Yanti, and connect to a network of tunnels that crisscross the serpent hills. Lower still, another level serves as subterranean prisons. The mouth of the great petrified snake is the destination of a one-way portal from the outskirts of Cirque, and the observatory atop the tip of the tail, a skull-shaped portal that leads to the skull port when used with a correct key. A live snake, or a snake and a skull. The wrong key, a disembodied skull alone, deposits the unwary in the barrens of doom and despair. The two portals are now part of a network linking the black jungles, the outskirts of Cirque, the Serpent Hills, and the depths of the Undermountain. Pretty cool. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, I like this this giant snake that is a a city. That's so good. Okay, yeah, that's good and all. But you know what's better? What? So you're there doing stuff, right? Yeah. You're chilling. You're talking to a merchant or something. And all of a sudden, water starts dripping from the ceiling. Slowly at first, you don't really notice it, but then uh, it starts dripping more and more and more. You notice underneath your feet, character with high passive perception, that water seems to be pooling on the ground. And with each step, you notice that the ground is becoming a little sticky. Odd. You turn around to the scream of a woman, a merchant, and on another man's face is a massive, what looks like a, a kind of like a slug has completely eaten the man's head. The body with the slug on it turns, pulls out a sword, and jumps at you. Roll initiative. The big bad evil guy, who probably is a magic user, because they always are, turns it into a real snake while you're in it. Oh, shoot. Yeah, that's cool. Everyone everyone dies. Yeah. And who whoever gets out are only the people you save. And the s- giant snake's, what is it called? Immune system? Mm-hmm puts out essentially face huggers right. that turns the everyday folk, the commoners that are in this place into enemies that you have to fight. That's cool. That's, That's cool. the tadpole thing yeah, that fell yeah, in the guy's yeah, head yeah, yeah. that I was describing. How freaking cool would that yeah, be? Cool. And now you're in this giant snake that's moving now. It's going somewhere, maybe to the big bad evil guy's lair, and you have to fight your way out, and then once you're out, kill the snake. Or... Yeah kill it inside find its brain and stab it yeah that's really cool and with the alternate goal of save as many people as possible depending on your alignment that would be so sweet what a twist especially especially if you made this giant snake place um kind of like a recurring city Mm -hmm. so that it doesn't just happen the first time your players go there like give them reasons to be coming back and then maybe on the third time you're there you know they're feeling safe they come here all the time this is just a cool flavorful city bam then you do it yep yep so that they've that they one they have a sense of safety here and it catches them off guard Mm -hmm. two they're gonna have people in this city they like maybe a blacksmith they keep going to maybe the fletcher that the ranger always buys arrows from the ranger really likes that fletcher lady you know Mm -hmm. that'd be sweet yeah so cool 
Yeah, I think that's a great idea. So yeah, located in the Western Serpent Hills in the border of the High Moor is the current capital known as Saskanaha, also known as the Snake Pit. And it is a restricted city that only the Naharans really Nagas uh, and their attendants can live in. So this is only like nobles only kind of city. That's cool. And then there's Sasunarasni, the city of abominations that lies in the depths of the northern Serpent Hills, about one mile below the lizard folk kingdom of Kalran. Sasunarasni is situated along the dark subterranean riverbed that once drained runoff from the great southern gray peaks into the depths. The serpent folks have carved the city walls to resemble the digestive tract of a massive snake. Gross. This disturbing image is reinforced by the faint acidic tang that clings in the air, making breathing uncomfortable for creatures unused to this environment. The city of Bobination serves as the serpent folks' primary trading link with the Underdark. The auntie who rule this place still honor a centuries-old alliance with the Illithids of Lalasanlarian, which lies in the middle underdark north of the Serpent Hills. As a result of the good relations between the races, numerous Yanti Talithids, half Alithids, half Yanti, with their distinctive viper heads, scaly tentacles, roam the city of abominations. Drought merchants from Erendil, uh, beneath the northern Highmore, and Sesmath beneath the far hills, are frequent visitors to the city of abominations, as are Darrow traders from Tesvillex, which lies to the lower Underdark beneath the border between the High Moor and Serpent Hills. Grimlocks from the Underdark settlements of Reshov also frequent the city of abominations. I love how well those two names fuse together. Yuantilithids. 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 Uh, I guarantee the only reason those things exist is someone was sitting around going, oh, these two names fit together so yeah. perfectly. Yuantilithids. Yuantilithids. Also, like... Get a, a lithid and the auntie drunk together. They're going to be like, yo, what if we like, what if we like yeah. took our two bodies to put them together? Whoa. So, you know, the lithids, the lithids show up one day, Kool-Aid man it through the wall. Yeah. And they're like, they're like, we have come to turn you into lithids. You know, their whole shtick. Yeah. We have come. We will put tadpoles in your brain and create a new creature. And then you want to look at each other and just go. Huh. Why didn't we think <laughs> yeah, of that? Yeah, sure, we're yeah. down. And the Illithids, the Illithids are like, what do you mean you are down? We have a whole war regiment here to take you by force. No, no need. Take a break. Come on. We'll come willingly. <laughs> Just have a have a beer. Don't worry about it. Just chill. I, all right, then. Come, cool. come with us, I guess. <laughs> this, this, this usually goes differently. I'm sorry if I seem a bit taken aback. This has never happened before. I'm. I'm. Don't take my surprise demeanor as me not showing gratitude. Yeah, we're cool. We could hang. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I love that. What? This has never happened before. Oh, you're down. Okay. <laughs> I. He looks at the other illithid. Looks back at the UNT. Did Did he just say they were down? <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So yeah, any any ideas anymore? We covered some good ones. Snake, living snake dungeon yeah. that used to be a city that turns into a living snake dungeon while you're in it. Golden. Golden. Green yeah. dragon manipulating an entire population of Yuan-Ti, making everyone hate them even though they're actually good people. Golden. Being um, an ambassador. Yuan-Ti character that's... Yeah, being an ambassador, golden. Being a hero trying to bring good name to Nahara, yeah. sweet. Being uh, essentially what amounts to um, essentially being a Yuan-Ti anthropologist, but you're studying races that are uh, species that are able to have emotions. So you go with the party, drawing everything they do, treating them like test subjects. Sweet. <laughs> yep. Any Yuan-Ti character you have that you don't even want a backstory from, this is where you're from. This is where you're from. Also... Uh, I posted this on Twitter, but I stand by it. This is Lily's idea, and it's great. If you want to play one of those crazy auntie with serpent arms, oh yeah, play a simic hybrid. It's a great way to play like a mutant, like a, a more interesting auntie mutant. Yeah, because they get tentacle yeah, arms. Yeah, exactly. It's great. Which you just call snake arms. It's Works like perfectly. Perfect. You could also, I mean, if you really wanted to amp up the flavor without playing a spellcaster, just take magic initiate, grab poison spray, bam. Yep. Bam, that is great. Yeah, that's it for our journey today. Respect the sovereignty of Nahara, or else you will face the serpent's wrath. 
Next episode, we'll cover a place called the Backlands, which is kind of that area, kind of marsh of Chalimber and area behind the Nahara. Thank you, Lily, for joining me. Yeah. Also, thank you for the amazing cover art. Yeah. And blend us for the theme music around the fire. You can find them on Bandcamp. Links in the description of the episode. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, and have a great long rest. Bye.